Isaiah chapter 40. Before I read, let us pray. Lord, your word is living and active, more um, uh, sharp than any two-edged sword. It is able to uh, pierce our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would, by your spirit, speak to us through these words. Amen. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cry says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are the grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your holy voice, your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. I will tend his flock like a he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and whom made he understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and show him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast it with silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up the idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, 
who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He who does not, he does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of God for the people of God. Isaiah 40 is a turning point in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has been prophesying, um, bringing promise of judgment and condemnation um, to the people, that they would be taken into exile, that they would pay the penalty for their sin. And when we get to chapter 40, the words begin, comfort, comfort. It is God's promise of comfort to those who have been suffering under his right and just condemnation, yet a God who condemns is also the God who forgives, also the God who brings good news to those who he has promised to be faithful to and who trust in him. And so we hear these words of comfort that were spoken originally uh, to God's people in exile. And even here, he is prophesying the coming of the Messiah, of God's servant who will do more than they're expecting with having the exile overturned, but having our exile from God because of our sin paid for and restored to him. It is is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, and it is appropriate on this first Sunday of Advent for us to hear these words of God's promise coming, because his first coming will be followed by a second coming. And while we um, celebrate the birth of Christ, we also look forward to his return when the same Christ who ascended will return and complete and fulfill all of his work that, um, that he will accomplish. The prophecy begins with kind of three voices giving a message to Isaiah. Voices very good for us to hear because we, very much like the people in exile, are among people who there's just a darkness. There's just so much difficulty in life, and and, and we need to hear this word of comfort um, in the many situations we face with loss and with grief and with anxiety and worry 
all the things that we face in life, he speaks to this, a word of hope and a word of comfort. Verses 3 to 5 is the voice, is the first voice. A voice cries um, to prepare a way in the wilderness, um, level out the ground. This was a time when kings would visit their people, and for a king's visit, it was uh, a great display, a great show. As continues, you know, if, there, if there's a, um, a notable leader coming, there's going to be certain protocols and things that are prepared. There's going to be a lot of secret service going ahead of the um, people. And so there, there's a sense of which what he's saying is that, that we're preparing for a visitation from our God. And the way that would have been done is all the chariots and the, the, the groups coming through the pathway, pathways um, in times before um, pavement uh, would be leveled out by a group preparing the way. So if there's ruts and valleys, those would be raised up. If there were hills and things that chariots would have to pass, these would be lowered so that you're making a, a way that is prepared for this coming one. And so it should catch us that... This highway is not merely for a human king. This highway that is being prepared, this, this route that is coming and preparing for the visitation is from God himself. That he was saying, prepare this way and get ready because God himself is going to come to you. It's not preparing a highway that we're going to travel, that some way we are going to reach out to God, but the glory of the Lord is coming to us. So it's why the forerunner of the Messiah, as we, we hear of John who was baptizing in the wilderness, comes out and says that he is a voice in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the road for our God. This is what he's saying will come. An astounding thing to, to remember is that the Christ who comes to us is a fulfillment of this. He is God himself who comes to dwell among us. I always say that we, we, we're not just celebrating the birth of a great leader. We're not just celebrating the birth of um, a, a notable religious teacher or prophet. This isn't President's Day amped up. This is nothing less than God himself, the glory of the Lord that makes its tent among us and dwells with us. The glory of the Lord is to be revealed, and all flesh will see it together. It is God who himself comes to us. This is what is being prophesied. Our hope in God is that he is with us. The second voice, verses 6 through 8, is the certainty of God's promise. If you... Well, mo, mo, I guess everyone, as we look out on our yards this morning, um, they are withered and brown, not the lush green they were earlier. Um, grass withers, flowers fade, right? That's just the nature of the beauty that we enjoy at one point in a season, and the next season a frost hits, they're, uh, they're away with. And, and so he's saying, all flesh... All people are like this. Um, the, the flesh is like grass, that it, it withers and fades. That our greatest hope in any human um, is hoping in something that is temporary. 
very much to experience. So we, Graham and I ran St. Um, Jude Half Marathon um, yesterday. Uh, very much living, uh, verse 30, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. That, that pretty much played out for us, right? Um, many of you know you, you, your strength and your energy is not uh, what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, I, I go to Total Fitness at times, and I remember looking off at this old gray-haired guy who was he was just struggling and straining, and I felt so sorry for him until I realized it was a mirror. <laughs> you know, it's just, guys, I think you, 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 I hope others, you look in the mirror and you think, that's really not who I picture in my head. You know, there's a lot more gray there. We, we, we fade. And how much more is the world around us of all those that we hope for that, that we, we place our trust in as we watch them lose strength. I mean, it's just, just the way it is. The great athletes, to watch them um, over time, they lose their strength. The great uh, performers and musicians that we lift up, you know, just you get to a point, you go to the concert, and you feel bad for them. It's just all flesh is like grass. It withers and fades. But over against that is our God and his word does not fade. Does it not amaze you? You can look at the dates on here. This, this building itself, 100 years old this year. This, this building itself bearing testimony to nearly 100 years before that of people worshiping. And to think what they've gone through and, and the times that have changed and the differences, all fades. And yet the same word from this pulpit, the same word as the people gather, God's word is everlasting. It does not fade. And his promise of hope and his promise of redemption and his promise of a return and a coming kingdom of the Messiah who originally came, it stands forever. Verses 9 through 11, the third voice. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. Remember that good news is the gospel. Good news is gospel. It's the proclaiming of a gospel that the Lord comes with strength. This mighty God, this everlasting God, he is going to come. And remember, he's telling the people in exile to go up on Jerusalem. What a great hope to think. And this is the promise of us, the people of God, that we are called to proclaim this gospel, this good news. And what is this gospel? Is that this mighty God will tend his flock like his shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. The weakest ones are those he carries close to his heart. Those who are most vulnerable, he holds closest to him and protects. Our God comes with comfort and protection and safety. What a wonderful hope. Whatever we're facing is that our God is our shepherd. And then the rest of the chapter backs up this promise, this promise that God himself comes, a God who is promises sure and God who will give us comfort and hold us close to him. He's going to come to us, and he he finishes out with just a list of the mighty one, of giving you a portrait of who our God is. Behold your God, he says, and he begins to describe him. And here's the point. You know, we, we, I think all of us 
struggle with our commitment to God. I think all of us struggle with doubts about God. All of us know there are things in our lives that we probably ought to change, probably ought to fit in with following and being more committed in some ways and more trusting in others and holding closer and, 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 and having faith. And all of that is not something that we get by just mustering up our willpower, wagging our finger, go do better, right? Go be good Christians, get out there. and be. That's not the way we do it. What we do is we remember who our God is, and all of it flows naturally from it. That is, I don't just tell myself, okay, I need to pray more. I need to be more obedient. What I do is I look at who he is, and I remember, and if I really, truly get a vision of who God is, my knees tremble, and I naturally fear him and say, if this is my God, I want to trust him and praise him and be obedient to him. So in a way, all of our things we struggle with as Christians, the way we resolve that is remembering who our God is. So let Isaiah remind us who our God is. Our God is great. Our God is immense. Do you love this? He's measured the waters in his, the hollow of his hand. You go to the beach. You get your family picture. You're all dressed in the same clothes. Uh, matching clothes, not the same clothes. That would be weird. You're, you're all dressed in matching things. Beautiful picture. You get, you're at the beach. Why are you at the beach? You love the beach because the vastness of the water. No picture ever does it justice because it completely takes over your whole sense of vision, right? I mean, you can't turn your face without seeing beyond what you can see. We go to the Gulf, we get the small, right? I mean, it's not like looking out on the Pacific and thinking, wow, all of it. It's like when you scoop up some water and splash it. It's nothing to God. It's a little splash. It's a handful of water, the immensity of what you look at. He's enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and, scale, mountains and scales and hills and balance. The picture we get there is you, you go and you see the grandeur of the Rockies, and it's amazing. And for God, it's though you're weighing out for calories of your meal um, on a little bitty scale. The great things that we, the picture we should be getting is the most amazing and astounding things our minds can fathom are to God like things he's going to use his tweezers and a microscope to mess with. That's the image. This is your God. You're going to play around with him. You're going to live your life that he really doesn't exist and you can do whatever you want. You might bring him in if somebody's really sick. That's the way we're going to treat this God. This God knows all things. When I think of the arrogance of the people on programs and whose voices, as though they would correct the morality of Scripture, as though they would look at God and say, you've got to prove to me that you're righteous because I can't see how anybody suffers and I can't understand anything. And until you prove to me that you're worth worshiping, I'm not going to worship you. Really? You're going to dare 
counsel the one who can name the stars. You're going to dare look at one who has ruled all things and tell this God that he has to meet your criteria before you bend the knee? And isn't that kind of the way we live? God, here's what I want, and you give me what I want, and I might worship you. You make me happy, and I might claim you're my God. We're not worshiping a God. We're worshiping an image of ourself that's projected on the big screen that's going to say whatever we want. Who are we to counsel this God? We're going to act like Israel and say, my way is hidden. He doesn't know what I'm doing. He doesn't see what you're looking at. He doesn't see what your heart is thinking. He doesn't see where you're treating others. And somehow, I'm I'm, I'm astounded by, well, people come up to Robin at times and apologize for missing church in Walmart. I hope nobody's here who... They'll come up later at Walmart and tell her. And we're always going to go, why? The God we worship is the one who, I mean, that, that's the one who sees. He is immense and he is eternal. I, I was thinking again of the, the hundred years this building has been here that, you know, when, when, when they were worshiping here, well, this is the newfangled thing. They weren't, you know, thinking about internet and wiring and stuff like that and, and, the terrifying wiring we have above us was the, the hot new uh, um, technology. The number one movie, I can't remember the guy's name. I wrote it down and left the paper there. But that's kind of the point. I think it was Harold Lloyd. Any big Harold Lloyd fans in here? Yeah. Okay, well, you knew it'd be Walt. <laughs> we, we might remember Buster Keaton. We might remember others. Okay, Walt, Paul Whiteman, jazz artist. Okay, the number one. Okay, so other than Walt, who, who remembers these folks, I don't know, any other Paul Whiteman fans? Let me see. Got any 78 acetones you put on the Victrola? <laughs> so we have all of these that they thought were the greatest. And what I think is, like, the, that's who we look at as, I don't whatever the big movie star is now. Whatever the Taylor Swift, you know, this is, that was the Taylor Swift of the time. That these were the ones that we give so much attention and so much energy and so much money, and we lift these higher. And really, for many of us, these are the things our, our sports stars, our celebrities, these are the ones who gain our attention, and we honestly let them cloud out our God. And very few. And if it wasn't Walt, I could say no one, but very few of us can remember. So much so that I can remember taking a youth group. Um, this was probably about 98 to a trip. And I, and I was like thinking, I was like, you know what? Like y'all are as far away from my music as I was from Sergeant Pepper. Right? You know what the response was? Who's Sergeant Pepper? Is that a rapper? <laughs> These were supposed to be more famous than Jesus. And in other words, the things that we cling to or as grass that withers and fades. The things that have our attention, you know, that, that we spend so much effort and so much time that truly, actually, we are worshiping. Because worship isn't about emotional attachment, though that kind of becomes our worship for a lot of this. But how much of our time and our attention and our resources are still poured out to Nike, God of sport, goddess of sport? How much of our time and attention is still worshiping Venus, romantic love, 
of Pluto, of wealth, of Mars, of military power, how much of our time and attention that we don't build temples is still given over to absolute dust and insignificant drops of water. We fear the nations and the things that are around us, but it says they are as but a drop in a bucket. In other words, you're taking a bucket across and a drop spills out. You don't even notice it. There is a speck of dust on the scales. In other words, you're, you're weighing out something. You're not going to bother to wipe the dust off. It doesn't have any bearing, and that is the great powers of the world around us. And for 2,000 years, we've had people thinking that their empire would overturn the gospel. They would overturn the power of our God. Rome thought he would do it. Then Rome was taken over by the church. China in current day thinks it's doing it and does nothing more than increase the number of believers. The Third Reich thought it would overturn, and their thousand years lasted 12 years, and the church marches on. Soviet Russia thought it would do away with the church. 50, 100 years ago, all the intelligentsia said as people became more educated, they would become less religious, they would become secular, and here we are. And they're forgotten. Our God is a mighty God. And to the extent that you believe that, you have great resources and great comfort, for this is what he offers. Our God is an all-powerful, everlasting, incredible God. He's not just someone to play around with. He is one to bow down and to worship, to prepare our hearts to receive and to trust in him because not only is he immense and powerful who thinks nothing of nations, he is a gracious and compassionate God who forgives your sins and has all the resources of love and wisdom and strength to be with you in your need. And you need him. You will need him because life is rough. I don't know how someone goes through the things I've watched you go through without faith in a God. And if that's not real to you, know that it's coming. It's just that's the way we live is there are difficult things that life happens, that we all will face death, that we all will experience loss and grief. We all have to deal with the guilt of our sin. We don't wait around until that's needed that we then kind of turn to God and give our life to him now because we see our need. And we worship him who comes to us as a gentle shepherd who gathers up his lambs and holds them to his heart and comforts and comforts and gives good news. Why would you not cling to him in faith and give your life to him in service who is this mighty, yet this condescending and humble and loving and gracious. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe for the words of the Nicene Creed.